Welcome to a very special edition of the Known Pleasures podcast. Today, we are very fortunate to be talking to the much admired and very influential guitar player from the Gang of Four, Andy Gill. Andy's distinctive, brittle and angular guitar playing style has been emulated by the likes of Trent Reznor, Tom Morello and St. Vincent, and the Gang of Four themselves have been an important influence on bands such as Franz Ferdinand, R.E.M. and Block Party. Andy also became an in-demand producer, producing albums by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Stranglers, Killing Joke, Future Heads and Michael Hutchins. And now, here is our interview with Andy Gill. Hi Andy, it's Graham here from the Known Pleasures podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing fine, and uh, I'm glad you waited for me. <laughs> no, no problem at all. We thought we lost you there, technology being what it is, but uh, we're back on track now. Yeah, I'll just quickly let you know we're a podcast that discusses bands of the post-punk era, and each episode is kind of dedicated to a different band of the era. And um, yeah. I'm here with uh, my two cohorts, Patrick and Mark, and uh, we were just going to ask you a few questions for the podcast. That's Great, yeah. I'll pass over to Patrick now, who will ask the first question. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, what, one of the things that really strikes me, like we're all aficionados of the post-punk scene and we were all you know in our sort of early teens in the late 70s, so we were the right age to be really kind of influenced particularly by the post-punk music. And from an Australian perspective, the uh, Melbourne-Sydney music rivalry you know, was yeah. potent enough, you know, with five or 600 miles between the two cities. And so uh, it's extraordinary yeah. for us to kind of think of what was happening within all these towns and cities, particularly up north, Leeds, Sheffield, Manchester, Liverpool, those kind of places. And mm-hmm. I just kind of wondered, firstly, whether there was something about Leeds that was particularly conducive to your kind of music or the scene at the university there or just the kind of starting point for your sound, I guess. Well, I mean, when I... Uh when I went to Leeds, I wasn't really aware of a music scene at all. And I think it was something that we sort of created. So, I mean, I'd gone to New York when John King had come with me. We were basically sleeping on the floor of Mary Harron's flat. And Mary Harron subsequently became a very well-known film director uh, with films like uh, American Psycho and stuff. But back then, she was writing for New York Punk magazine so she was kind of well-connected uh, in those circles. Every evening, we'd kind of go and hang out at various clubs like CBGBs and stuff and meet people. You'd be sort of drinking at the bar with sort of John Cale on your left and Joe Ramone on your right and having conversations with all these people. And we got quite friendly with the Patti Smith band. You know, and we were there for several weeks and uh, meeting these people. And it all felt very normal. And I think that was because it all felt very normal. It led me to think I should be starting a band and and John should be involved. And so we got back to Leeds and started the beginnings of Gang of Four and, uh, you know, spent some time trying to find a drummer and a, uh, and a bass player. And I, and I guess, um, you know, obviously punk rock was happening and the Mekongs formed kind of at the same time as Gang of Four. And we used to share quite a lot of stuff. I mean, Gang of Four would be rehearsing and then we'd take a break and they'd pick up our instruments and they'd rehearse. You know, we would get by with quite limited resources. And then, you know, Delta Five, who were all friends of ours, they started a band at some point. 
Meanwhile, you know, Scrooge Felicity was, was getting going and Mark Armand was plotting the soft sell. So, I don't know, I mean, we all met in this one pub called The Fenton. I mean, all these people that were, were either in bands or about to be in bands were all, all in this pub called The Fenton. Yeah, that was it. Was there any rivalry between the Leeds bands and, the, say, the Manchester bands in the way that there is in football terms? No, not really. Um, we played with Joy Division, although I think they were called something else at the beginning. I've forgotten what they were called. Warsaw or Stiff Polish Kick name. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, so we sort of vaguely knew them and, and played with them. But of course, we got quite friendly with the Buzzcocks, and we turned up. I think a sort of quite a turning point for Gang of Four was when we we decided to just show up at a Buzzcocks gig. We knew they were playing not that far away. We just showed up, quite you know, at soundcheck, and said to the manager, who I'm still friendly with today, as it happens, but said to the manager, um, "What do you think about us playing before the Buzzcocks?" Um, we brought our own PA. It's in the van, a PA, incidentally, that we built ourselves. And we can set up our own PA, if you like. And he said, no, we'd, uh, you can definitely play. You don't need to set up your own PA. You can use ours. And we played. And then we got a phone call like, the next day from the manager saying, well, do you want to, you know, we're doing four more shows at the moment. Do you want to come and do those? So that was kind of when we first got a lot of attention from people like the NME and the music press in general. So, in other words, there wasn't really any rivalry between Manchester and, uh, and Leeds that I was aware of anyway. Oh, uh, thanks for that, Andy. Uh, my name's Mark. Um, you were a bit of a hero to me as yep. a kid. And uh, I guess what I, I want to ask mm. you was uh, for a generation of post-punk kids like me, sort of raised on the idea of there being no more heroes, you sort of ended up becoming a guitar hero. <laughs> For a lot of people, um, you know, yeah. thought that sort of thing was over. Do you hear, you know, the yeah. influence of your particular, very particular sound on any guitarists or bands over the subsequent years? And you go, oh, I can see where, you know, he's got that from, or, or, that, or that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, I do kind of hear things and think, well, oh, that sounds a bit like me. I mean, bands don't exist in a vacuum, and they do hear things and kind of borrow ideas from here and there. And, it, and usually it's quite a melange of different things. I mean, with entertainment, I think, you know, I mean, there's sort of certain aspects of dub reggae, you know, that I loved, uh, particularly the instruments dropping out and leaving a space. It left a big impression on me. And so I started doing that in Gang of Four. At this point, okay, the guitar's going to stop and the bass and drums going to carry on. Or I'd go, okay, at this point, the drums are going to stop and the bass and the guitar are going to carry, etc. You know, which, which is an idea taken directly from dub reggae. And one of those things that I just found exciting. It's not from any particular one artist, but just that stylistic thing. I guess I'm saying, um, you know, everybody gets inspiration from elsewhere. And more recently, on Happy Now, which is the last album, some of the ideas from Grime, some of the some of those kind of you know bass sounds, I've been dabbling with. I think the idea of just finding one sound and sticking to it forever 
is a little tedious. You know, it's like being status quo where, you know, every single song sounds exactly the same and every album sounds exactly like the one before. I don't know. It's not for me. Were you, were you trying to avoid mentioning ACDC because we're Australian? <laughs> um, no. I, I mean, ACDC is an interesting one because in the early days, some of the crew people that we worked with would talk about ACDC and say they were great. Yeah, and I just did, did a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I just heavy metal. Um, I subsequently actually listened properly to ACDC, and I found that it was unfair to be uh, dismissive in that way. And actually, ACDC are rather clever in the way that they kind of build excitement within a song. And so I do have um, a, a certain amount of respect for uh, ACDC. And, and there is a little bit of space in their in their music as well, uh, which, which which reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of of, of uh, Gang of Fours music, which, which is all about space. And uh, I mean, yeah. Steve Marriott from Small Faces, I think, um, said um, it's, yeah. it, it, it's the gaps what rocks. <laughs> and it's the gaps what rocks. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think that is just that, that really typifies the uh, Gang of Four sounds. Up that quote from Steve Marriott is always in my head when when I'm listening to Gang of Four music. So I don't know whether that's a helpful cross reference or not. <laughs> it is. It is. And is it is it definitely what you said? It's the gaps what rocks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you're sure that's what you said? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that... I'm gonna I'm gonna quote that. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, quote yeah, that from yeah, now yeah. on. Yeah, please do. He he apparently told a member of uh, Rose Tattoo, the Australian hard rock band. Oh right, great. Yeah, yeah that can... reminds me that you know the the other thing talking about the gaps, what rocks, is free. Right. Yep. And that was you know when I was uh, a young teenager, free were one of my kind of favourites because they really grooved. I mean, what a what an amazing groove, you know, and it was. There's so much space in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of space in it. And, um, I mean, you have to kind of try and ignore the ridiculous lyrics. But, the, you know, the music is fantastic. And uh, I won't monopolise the uh, questions, but I will properly source the Steve Marriott quote. It's from Maximum Rock and Roll, a book about ACDC by Murray Engelhart. Just, <laughs> just to properly source the quote. OK, Maximum... OK. Yeah. OK. OK, well, that makes it legitimate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've just been talking about your influences and, uh, and where you sort of got your sound from. Um, Solid Gold was one of the first albums that I ever shoplifted as a 16-year-old schoolboy. <laughs> oh, right, good. It blew my mind. I was like, wow, OK, well, this is where things are going. Where do they come from? I wanted to know, was there an album that you just had to have or that had that kind of influence on you growing up? Like, I, I couldn't afford it, you know. <laughs> I was a school kid, but I, I had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is something like that for you? Ooh. I, um, as you can tell, I'm struggling to think of one particular album. Cast <laughs> your mind back to when you were 16. Uh, it's, it's not that long ago. <laughs> No, no. <clears throat> well, I suppose um, the Velvet Underground and Nico. I think that would be, you know, a, such a game changer. If I had to pick one, that would probably be it. Uh, it's hard to pick your influences because your sound is so fully formed. When you, when the first single came out, it was like everything was in place. Every, you looked a certain way. You had your politics. You had your sound. And I can never really see. Mm. Apart from the maybe the Doctor Feelgood references, I can't ever see how and the dub how you got there. So it's fascinating to me. Yes, 
absolutely. I mean, I think with damaged goods, you know, there's, there's a clear Wilco Johnson kind of reference. Um, but then you've got Anthrax, which is, who knows? Um, I, I suppose it's, you could say it was a bit of a Velvet Underground, a bit of a Jimi Hendrix uh, mashup. But then again, where did the drums fit into that? And then there's uh, Arm Light Rifle, which is more of a kind of, I suppose, almost like a free reference in sort of thing. Yeah, so it was uh, on that first single, quite diverse references. Okay, Eddie, just before we finish up, I've got a question that I wanted to uh, quickly throw in. Um, the guitar sound, I'm a guitarist as well, so I really want to ask you about your guitar yeah. sound, which has been kind of thought of as being thin and brittle. Is that something mm. that you deliberately wanted to do to not sound like other bands, or did you kind of stumble on the sound one day? Um Yes, I kind of wanted the sort of cutting treble mm. aspect of it, but I also wanted some bottom end on it. Yeah. So I'd scoop out some of the lower mid and try and boost the bottom end. Obviously, if you're playing on the top strings, you know, on the fifth or seventh fret or something, mm. it's going to sound pretty sharp and you're not going to hear any bottom end at all yeah but then there's lots of things where you're playing an open e or open a or quite low notes and you want them to resonate with some bottom end and sometimes i slightly struggle to get enough bottom end there was a period in the 90s when i kind of had a setup where i kind of deliberately boosted the bottom end and um, I don't bother with that anymore. It's a great sound. It's difficult to replicate. I mean, I play a Telecaster, so um, uh, maybe I should play a Strat. Mm. But yeah, I love the sound. Yeah. Um, sorry, Andy, I think uh, Patrick wanted to ask one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. Taking uh, a bit of a tangent, another thing that I find fascinating about the kind of post-punk world is that the sort of anger against the kind of political system that was part of punk and post-punk 76, 77, 78, etc. And that was with a Labour government and obviously come May 1979 mm. and, and, and Thatcher... Mm being elected, everyone must have been suicidal, were they? Or, I mean, on the actual day of the general election, do you remember where you were and what you were feeling and what the band's reaction to it was? No, I don't. I don't remember. But I mean, I'm glad you made the point that when we were writing all, all these songs, it was a Labour government. And, you know, and I think that speaks to the fact that the Gang of Four is very often described as political, and, uh, and I think that's correct. But it's more from uh, an observational and descriptive position, uh, and historical position. We usually avoided talking about the issues of the day and talk more about the mechanisms by which the, the kind of macro situation works and also the mechanisms by which the personal the lives of our, ourselves and our friends and families and people that people that we knew and what motivates people to do what they do and trying to honestly look at all aspects of the world around us both small world around us and the bigger picture and to a certain extent the way the government works within that the way the media works within that those were all all the things that Nobody ever talked about. So I think Angle was probably the first. I mean, people think of the clash as being political uh, and radical revolutionaries. And I would sort of argue that that wasn't really the case. They were displaying a certain amount of sort of punk anger, but I'm not entirely sure at what. And I mean, I, I thought the clash was great, but you see what I mean? That the, the, the Gangful was, was kind of like 
describing. I mean, that's why a lot of those songs sort of apply today, I think, because they, they don't feel like they were specifically about a late 70s situation, although they were born of that, but they're not specifically about that. Yeah, I guess a song about specifically about Maggie may not have aged particularly well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, having said everything that I've just said uh, in the last two minutes, uh, I was trying to make the point that we normally didn't talk about, you know, issues of the minute. Mm. But of course, on the Happy Now, the last album, the song called Ivanka. <laughs> we did notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to make, you know, make exceptions here and there. <laughs> and um, the whole kind of circus of, uh, you know, dragging Ivanka out to be the kind of humanising face of Trumpism um, was quite an extraordinary and grotesque uh, show. However, you know, probably 10 years from now, people would be saying, Ivanka who? <laughs> uh, well, at least I hope so, anyway. Okay. Well, Andy, uh, I think that's about it from us. So um, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks so much, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, great, Fantastic. Great. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, guys. We'll Cheers. See you, we'll see you in November. See you then. <laughs> yeah, see you then. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.